Dear Heavenly Father, we come once before you, again before you, and ask that you would take our hearts. Lord, that you would take our singing and each thing that we do today and mold them and make them worship and bring praise and honor and glory to your name. We pray for the time of invitation that we would surrender those things that need to be surrendered. And Lord, ask you to change what needs to be changed. That our lives may bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to read one verse out of John chapter 1 as we start on our journey through Scripture this morning. It's a verse that should be somewhat familiar to each of us. John chapter 1 and verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The subject I would like to deal with this morning is in your bulletin, Jesus, our hope. And one of the pictures of hope, one of the things where hope becomes very real is when the events, not maybe not necessarily just the ambient light in the room, but when events get very dark and dreary, Jesus gives us light, and that light here is talked about in life. Uh, if you've ever been uh, very ill to the point to where the doctors were saying you might not survive this illness, uh, there's just a darkness in your life and in your soul. It's called the valley of the shadow of death for a reason. And yet, as we read this verse here, in him was life, and that life, and the life, I'm sorry, was the light of men. I, I want us to go through, I'm, I'm hoping we'll have time to go through five different stories in the Bible and illustrate this truth, uh, different viewpoints, different facets of how God's light, how his life can give us light in our lives. The first one I'd like for us to see this morning is in the book of Luke chapter 5. And uh, if you're familiar with the Bible stories, this is one of the more famous ones. You'll be familiar with this one. In verse 18 of Luke chapter 5, it says, And behold, men brought in a... Sorry. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him, talking about Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Now I want you to read verse 20 very carefully. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus used this as an illustration. He said, What is easier for me to do? Is it easier for me to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or is it easier for me to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. And of course, we understand that it's much easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, because that's something we cannot see. And Jesus said, Well, I'll give you something you can see. Now, this idea of taken with a palsy, uh, we have a certain 
number of diseases that we call palsy today. Uh, this was a paralyzing disease. The man could not walk. He could not sit up. Uh, his friends saw him in this state. They realized that there was no hope in, in the medical realm in those days for any solution to his problem. They said, we want to bring him to Jesus. Now, what we're talking about today when we talk about our hope being in Jesus Christ, when we talk about life being in him and that life or the life that Jesus has being our light, we have to talk about a word called faith, do we not? Faith is believing in God's word to the point of obedience. You see, you can talk about God's word all day long, and many people do. I think we have more talk about Jesus and God's word today than at any other time in human history. But I also believe we have less belief. We have less people, fewer people today, believing God's word to the point to where they do something, to where they're actually taking the words of this book off the page and putting them in shoe leather, if you like that picture, where, where you're obeying the words. I mean, even... Our, our children are affected. But I did what you said when they didn't. How many of you have children that have told you that? It's part of our society. How many of you told your boss? But I did what you said and you didn't. Well, I did part of it. Doesn't that count? Uh, I did most of it. Doesn't that count? Uh, Listen, when we only do part, we're talking about degrees of disobedience, not degrees of obedience. You see the difference? You see, when we're obedient, it means we've done it. Amen? And the Bible speaks a lot of people who believe but not to the saving of the soul. People who believe, but not to the point to where it makes a real difference in their life. If you do not have a living relationship with the living Christ, it is not Bible salvation. And someone may say, Pastor, you've been over this before. Oh, yes. I mean, uh, there hardly a service goes by. We do not mention what it means to be saved. Why do we repeat this subject so often? Well, because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, there are going to be many that say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? That means preachers. Have we not done many wonderful works? I mean, those are people that have spent their entire life about religion. Some of you will remember Mother Teresa. I mean, she is some example of, uh, of someone who has done many good things to try to help starving people and, and all of that. But on her deathbed, as she was dying and she knew it, this was her testimony. I heard it reported by the news. I'm not sure I've done enough good works. Now, I can answer that question from the Bible 
Because no amount of good works can give you life. Only Jesus can. That's why you have to put your faith in Jesus. That's why if you're going to have that life, if you're going to have that light, if your life is going to be illuminated by the glory of God and His goodness, you've got to go to Jesus and get that life. Now I want you to think about this morning what would drive these men to do what they did. There were four men that came together and they had compassion on their friend who was ill. And they said the only answer is going to be getting him to Jesus. Does this sound familiar, by the way? It ought to. And as they began to think, they finally found out that Jesus was close to their proximity, that they would not have to take an extremely long journey. Maybe it was the same town, we're not sure. And they put this man on a stretcher and each one of them grabbed a corner and they began on their way to Jesus only to find out that they were too late. Jesus had entered into a house and the place was packed. There was no room for anyone to get in. Now they tried what every New Yorker is very good at. There's a big crowd. I, I love taking people visiting in the city on the subways. We're not getting on that train. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of room for everybody. In! I mean, we know how to negotiate a crowd, do we not? And, and we also learn that there are certain crowds that just aren't going to be negotiated. Now, don't we? Uh, we're waiting for the next train. But we got to get there. No, we're waiting for the next train. I'm, I'm not getting on that train. How many have ever been there? And uh, these people tried to get through the crowd and they couldn't. Now, I don't know if one of them had his slide ruler or his pocket acabus or whatever, and they began doing some calculation, but they had to do some calculation here. Because they climbed up on the roof. Now, I want you to think about it. Most houses had a set of stairs that went up to the roof. But how many of you would like to carry a full-grown man in a stretcher up onto a roof? Uh, I mean, that in itself took a good deal of effort. And yet these people were so determined that they were going to get their friend to Jesus that they had already worked out a plan they had figured out about where Jesus was. And they began to cut a hole in the roof. Now, how many of you would be desperate enough to climb up on a roof and cut a hole in the roof? And it says that when they lowered this man through the hole, we're not talking about a hole this big. And they, he was on a stretcher. He couldn't move. I mean, they had to dig a hole five and a half, six foot long and three foot wide. How long would it take to make a hole that big in a roof? And by the way, if you weren't careful, uh, you might just go through the roof with the hole. I, I mean, these were not just 
a bunch of dummies with a hammer. Okay, I get out the chainsaw and just rip a hole through a roof. I mean, they had to know what they were doing or they were going to end up on the floor with their sick man, uh, if not at death's door, beyond death's door, uh, dropping eight or ten feet to the floor and hitting it hard is not very good for you. Why do people look at me and laugh when I tell stories like this? You know, because we don't think about what actually went on in the story now, do we? I want you to think about how much effort these four men put forth so that their friend could be lowered into the presence of Jesus. Being paralyzed, not being able to move is a pretty dark life, is it not? And it meant that he could not work and he could not earn food and he could not take care of his family. They knew, they believed that Jesus could heal their friend. And when they couldn't get their friend to Jesus, they made a way. In fact, how would you like to have been in the house? And here Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden you hear, clunk! And the breaking of noise and some dust falls from the ceiling. And Jesus just apparently kept going right on teaching. And all of a sudden skylight comes through. I mean, the sun starts shining in the middle of the room right in front of Jesus. And I wonder if you could hear the whispers. Hey, we got it right. Just a little more this way. I see him. And then they lower this guy in front of Jesus. And of course, Jesus stops teaching and looks at the man. And the first thing he says unto him, it says, when he saw their faith. Whose faith did Jesus see? The faith of the man in the stretcher? No, it was the faith of the men that brought him to Jesus. Now, can you get saved by proxy faith? Hmm? No. Faith's got to be yours and yours alone. But let me tell you something. There's some people that need to be brought to Jesus. They need a little help. They're not going to get there on their own. Jesus offered this man salvation. I think he was overwhelmed with their faith, don't you? How would you like to be the guy on the stretcher? What are you guys doing to me? Don't worry, we're going to get you to Jesus. You can't bust up his roof like this. We'll fix it. But we might fall through. I know what we're doing. You're not going anywhere anyway. You can't get out of bed. We're going to make sure you see Jesus. I'll tell you what. I I believe this is a perfect picture of loving someone to Christ. We, we need this. 
We need to let God move our hearts for someone that we'll do what it takes to bring that person to Christ. Jesus does the saving, amen? And you can't make a person accept Jesus Christ. They have to do that all on their own. But I will tell you this. If mom and dad love Jesus, really love Jesus, it's going to give all those children a real desire to love that same Jesus. Your children love what you love. It's something that God put in them. They will learn to like these things. I have often sat down and tried to reason out why I like to go hunting in the woods. Because it doesn't make a lick of sense. I mean, we're not living in Daniel Boone's day. We don't need the food. Why do I like doing that? Why do I like going out in the woods when it's five degrees and freezing and and just sitting there getting colder and colder looking for something that's never going to get close enough to shoot at anyway? Well, my father enjoyed it. And I love to think about things that happened with my father when I was a little kid. And I like my children, to have those experiences. They can freeze too, amen? But it's more than that. Your children will love what you love. It's what happens automatically in a normal setting. You can influence others' lives if you will do so with your faith. I can't tell how many people I've met over the years who have used other people's behaviors and actions as as an excuse not to come to Jesus. Here is an excuse to come to Jesus. And, And let me be very plain. Jesus addressed the issue of the day. It wasn't the man's disease and disability. It was his sin. And you know what? People don't like to deal with sin today. But if you don't deal with sin, you haven't dealt with anything. Sin is the issue. And Jesus made the issue the issue. Boy, that's profound, isn't it? But why do we spend all of our efforts today, uh, I believe the proper word is obfuscating, making it bleary, making it unfocused, trying to put our attention on everything else than where it ought to be? There are many churches today that don't preach on sin at all. You know why? Because you offend people. Well, listen, I'd rather offend you into heaven than unoffend you into hell. I'd rather you be uncomfortable and absolutely in misery if that's what it takes to bring your soul to Christ 
to turn you around on this road called life than to give you a down comforter and watch you slide off the edge into the pits of hell. It was not comfortable for the man in the stretcher. Nobody likes to be stared at. How many of you have ever showed up at a place to realize that you weren't supposed to be there? You could feel everybody looking at you. Why? What are you doing here? You don't belong here. I've been told that many times. What are you doing in this neighborhood? Are you a cop? No, I'm a preacher. Oh. Well, I guess I know why you're here. Yeah. In fact, I had one guy tell me, he said, anybody gives you problem, preacher? He says, you tell them you know Tommy. He says, everybody knows me. And nobody's going to bother you. I believed him. I'll tell you. These men had faith in Jesus. They brought their friend to Jesus. And he shared in their faith in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful story? And by the way, he walked home. Because when Jesus heals your life, he does it all the way. Now, please don't. Uh, Christians do get sick. Christians do have problems and physical disabilities. You say, well, why doesn't Jesus heal today like he did in those days? Let me tell you, Jesus still heals. Jesus gives life, but he does it in such a way that nobody else can take credit for it. So if Benny Hinn's there trying to get credit for it, you know it's not Jesus doing the work. Or any other person. I don't mean to pick on Benny Hinn, but he's just so easy to pick on. Um, because he's out there all the time trying to tell everybody how good he is. Let, let's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can tell you stories of Jesus healing. We have a missionary friend. We don't support him as of yet. Uh, he's done work in Cuba over the years. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. They went in to open him up to do the surgery, and all of a sudden they couldn't find the cancer. Now, the doctor says it's a miracle, but we don't know who did it. Well, we know who did it because we had people coast to coast and all around the world praying for Brother Jack Davis. And the Lord does miracles, but he does it in a way that no human being can take credit for it. That's how God works. Amen. Their faith brought their friend to Jesus. Jesus took care of the real issue. His sin. Then he took care of the other issues. His physical suffering. And this man is a, was a walking testimony. Look what it says here. Uh, verse 26 of Luke chapter 5. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, We have seen strange things today. Let me tell you, you're going to see strange things when you get close to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to see people who are addicted getting unaddicted. 
You're going to see people who struggle with just life, learning how to live. This is, these are the things that God wants to do in our lives. But sometimes you have to hope and pray and have faith for someone else. To love them to Jesus. Amen? Let's look at another story. Let's go over to Luke chapter 7. How many of you have ever said, I just give up, I'm done, there's no hope in this situation, I quit, I'm not trying again. Anybody ever been there? How many of you have been there only to see Jesus just show up all on his own and take care of things? When you've given up hope, when you've given up anything. Now look at 11. This is one of my most favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city were with her. Now, get the picture here. In the city of Nain, on this day, no one was thinking about Jesus. There was nobody there that had any faith that said, if we could just get this boy to Jesus before he dies, Jesus will solve the problem. They were carrying him out to bury him. And as Jesus was walking into the city... They ran headway into the funeral procession. And, and I wish I could just paint this picture for you this morning. The people who were traveling with Jesus had seen him do many miracles, had they not? The people who were with Jesus were full of joy, were they not? The people who were on their way to the funeral were exactly the opposite. I mean, this widow woman had no husband to take care of her. This was her only son, her only hope of any future. And they were taking him out to bury him. Nobody was looking for anything good to happen. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And it tells us in these stories here that he actually touched the buyer. Now, that was something you just didn't do. I mean, that'd be like going to a cemetery today and watch the pallbearers carry the casket out and stop them and try to open the casket. That'll get you arrested. I mean, the... The buyer was unclean. It had touched a dead person. But let me tell you, the Savior was so powerful that when he touched something unclean, it had no choice but to become clean. That in itself would be a whole sermon. And he told them to weep not. Now, 
When you go to a funeral and tell people not to cry, what do they think you are? A heartless idiot, right? What do you mean, don't cry? Well, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Nobody else did. He says, I say unto the young man, arise, and all of a sudden the guy sits up. Now, about that time, I think I'd have dropped the buyer and ran out of there. How about you? I mean, they knew this guy was dead. But in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you, you realize how dark this poor widow's woman's future was at this point? She was going to be reduced to a life uh, of begging other people, depending on other people's goodness so she had food to eat. And all of a sudden, there she's looking at her son, who a few moments ago was dead, and now is alive. Let me tell you, you don't have to have someone bring you to Jesus Christ as in the first story. He's there. He will find anyone who is willing to receive his life. This was not dependent on anyone's faith other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And let me tell you, he has enough faith to save the whole world. That's not the problem. The problem is, will we receive his life and his light? That is the issue. Let me tell you something. There was great joy. Look, look what it says here. Verse 14, And he came and touched the buyer, and they that bear, stood, bear him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up, is risen up among us, and God has visited his people and this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region about. And the disciples of John showed him all these things. Even way down in the prison where John the Baptist was being held by the evil Herod, men had gone down to tell him what Jesus was doing. What did the dead man have to do to show the world his world in which he lived, how good God was. He did absolutely nothing, did he? Except lived after he was dead. No, it's not a horror movie. It's the light that comes with the life that Jesus gives. You know what? All of us in this room at one time were dead in trespasses and sins. Just as dead as this young man, only we're speaking in the spiritual realm. Now maybe you had some friends that had enough faith to bring you to Christ like our first story. Or maybe you were just going through life and somebody gave you a gospel tract. Somebody gave you a John and Romans. Somebody told you about Jesus. 
Maybe you just saw the sign over the door and said, I'll, I'll just stop in that place and see what it's about. You never know. But then Jesus gives you life. And the change that he makes is the testimony that we can take to the world in which we live. Somebody says, how do I live for Christ? Well, it's real easy. Just get into the Bible and it just kind of happens naturally because Jesus is now living inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit and he'll give you all the direction that you need. The problem is not God's direction. It's the problem is our listening. All this man had to do is get up. And it says he delivered him unto his mother. I wonder if those guys that were holding the buyer were so scared that they couldn't stop. And Jesus literally picked the man off of the stretcher in which they were carrying him, the, uh, the, the cradle for the dead, and moved him off and stood him up and said, Here he is, Mom. Here's the light of your life. Your son is back. Because I'm God. Because I'm good. And all God's people said, Amen. let's look at another story. Luke chapter 8, just over one page or so in your Bible. And let's skip down to verse 41. It says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he had only one daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And there was a delay, and, and the story is told of another woman that came and touched Jesus by the hem of his garment, and and before they could get moving again, someone had already come from his house. We, we take up our reading in verse 49. And while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying unto him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. You know, there are some times when we just lose hope. It's too late. But I want to tell you something. It is never too late for God. As long as there is life, there is hope. In this situation, they said life is gone. But they were talking to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were talking to him in whom was life. And the life is the light. Amen. And he took him with him, and he said, Fear not, and took him and three of his disciples into the room. And before he could get into the room where the dead girl was lying, those that knew laughed him to scorn. Could you imagine laughing at the Savior? But I've had all kinds of people give the story. Well, when I tried to tell people I got saved, they just laughed at me. They said, it's not going to last. I'm, that I'm going to go back to all the old things that used to be in my life. Let me tell you, Jesus can save you from it all. If you'll let him. If you'll come to him. 
and this man brought Jesus to his daughter, everybody else had given up, had they not? Don't bother Jesus. He can't help you now. And the Bible says in verse 54, And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Jesus healed this young girl. It says he gave her life. When everyone thought it was too late. Don't give up talking to a friend or a family member about Christ. Don't give up until the funeral. You keep talking. God can save anybody. But you've got to bring them to Jesus. Amen. Now I want us to go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This one's kind of different. It really breaks the pattern altogether of the stories that we've looked at because nobody cared about Zacchaeus. In fact, people hated him. The Jewish people felt that he had sold them out as a people because he was collecting taxes for the oppressors of Rome. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, Zacchaeus himself, the Bible tells us, was of little stature. He was uh, vertically challenged. He, he, He couldn't see over the crowd. And so here he is, a tax collector, a very powerful man. He was the chief of the publicans. And he climbs up in a tree to watch the procession of Faithful Jewish people, Zacchaeus was not going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple because he wouldn't be allowed there. None of the Jewish people cared about him at all. But he wanted to see who Jesus is. He said he wanted to see him. Look here, verse 3, And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. He wanted to know about this man called Jesus. Nobody paid attention to the tax collector as he climbed up in the tree. Maybe some kids laughed at him and said, look at that. But Jesus didn't laugh. Jesus stopped and called him down and said, get down out of that tree. I'm coming to your house today. And what did everybody else say? Why is Jesus paying attention to a sinner like that? Because he's Jesus, amen. Jesus loves sinners. But let me tell you something Zacchaeus changed, did he not? Let's read Zacchaeus' testimony. Verse 8 And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half my goods I give to the poor. Every time I read this, you know who I think about? The rich young ruler. Who Jesus said, give up your goods and follow me, and he wouldn't do it. He didn't tell Zacchaeus to give up anything. Zacchaeus said, listen, half of what I got, I'm giving away today. 
He said, and any man that I've cheated, I'm going to pay him back fourfold. That's what the law said. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what? Jesus saves those that nobody else cares about. He saves those that have made everyone their enemy. By the way, if everybody in the world is against you, uh, maybe everybody isn't headed in the wrong direction. Maybe you are. You ever thought about that? But if you'll come to Jesus, you'll be heading in the right direction. He'll save you. Now let's look at just one more. John chapter 11, the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did, aside from his own resurrection, was that of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Most of us know these stories. And again, this is why we encourage you to come in, in Sunday morning for our Sunday, or through the Bible time, our Sunday school time, so that you would know these stories in detail and that we can go through them in very short order and bring out the points and the illustration and illustrate the truths that we are trying to learn. The first story, they had faith and they brought their friend to Jesus. Amen. The second story, nobody was looking for hope or help, but Jesus showed up. The third story was it was too late, but Jesus was in time. Amen. The last one we looked about was nobody cared about Zacchaeus except Jesus. Amen? Now this last story is a little different. You see, if anybody had a right to expect something from Jesus, was it not Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Jesus had a relationship with these people. This is where he stopped on his way to Jerusalem. And we read the story that Martha was serving uh, and earlier in this and, and Mary sat at his feet and, <coughs> excuse me, and there was time that was spent together. In fact, they sent a letter to Jesus about their brother named Lazarus, he whom thou lovest is sick. You know what? They knew that Jesus would know who they were speaking about. When it was signed Mary and Martha, they knew that Jesus would know it was Lazarus. And because of the relationship was there and the time was spent together, they believed that they had a right to ask Jesus to come and help their brother. And Jesus didn't come. In fact, he stayed where he was three days. There are some times when God disappoints us on purpose. Now, isn't there? Now, does God disappoint us because he doesn't care for us? Absolutely not. 
God has a bigger plan than you. And sometimes he, ne- he wants to do something spectacular. He wants to do something that only God can get credit for. But when God wants to do those great things, it always involves just a little bit of human disappointment. Remember, well, well, we'll get to that story a little later maybe. But could you imagine what Mary and Martha were going through right now? Looking for Jesus and he didn't come. Burying Lazarus and he still wasn't there. Four days in the tomb was sealed. The death watch was over. Things were going to, quote unquote, get back to normal. As normal as they could be with Lazarus gone. And a messenger comes and says, Jesus is on the way. Well, what good's it going to do now? Well, we know what good it did now. But Mary and Martha didn't know then, now did they? And it's kind of funny as everybody likes to point to Mary's faith, but you look at this story, Mary didn't have much faith. It was Martha that had the faith. Mary just said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. That was the end of her sentence. Martha said, but even now, whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. It was Martha that had to give the word to roll away the tomb. The stone from the door said, Lord, you don't understand. He's been in there four days. Now, that's not a pleasant thought. And let me tell you, when they rolled away the stone, the odor of death came out of the tomb because Lazarus had been in there for four days. He wasn't just in a state of suspended animation. He was in a state of decay. And here's what Jesus said, verse 41. It says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews, this is the religious leaders which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Jesus had a bigger plan than Mary and Martha and their sick brother Lazarus. Jesus was wanting to save some of those hard-hearted religious leaders who would not believe on him because they would have to leave their religious station to accept Jesus Christ. Jesus put Mary and Martha through this suffering so that those hard-hearted individuals could be saved. 
Does that not tell us that Jesus will do whatever it needs to be done to save whoever can be saved? If you read the next verse, though, it said, but some of them went their way to the Pharisees. Even though they had seen such a great miracle, they still would not be saved. This morning, I just want us to look at this four or five different illustrations of this one verse. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, I don't know where you'll find yourself here, but I would hope and pray every one of us in the auditorium could find ourselves somewhere in this sermon this morning. Maybe you're one of those four guys that has faith, And you need to go out and grab a hold of somebody. Not literally, but drag them to Jesus. Amen. Maybe you're one of those people that have given up and have no hope. Let me tell you, Jesus still meets the funeral possessions of this life and still gives life to those who will accept him as their Lord and as their Savior. Amen. Jesus still shows up when it's too late and still does the work that only Christ can do as he did with Jairus' daughter. Jesus cares about those that no one else cares about. No one else offers any hope. I remember one of the last stories that was told about my dad. He had a roommate before he went into surgery. His roommate's name was Joe Boyle. And you've never heard of him unless you've heard me tell the story. He was a salesman for a uh, cereal company. I can't remember even which one right now. And he saw my dad preparing to go to open heart surgery. Now, my dad knew a little bit more than the doctor did. He knew he probably wouldn't survive the surgery. We didn't know that. And he didn't. He survived the surgery two or three days but never woke up went on to be with the Lord. But weeks, months later, Joe Boyle had his surgery, got out of the hospital, and told a competing salesman that he had been in the hospital with Pete Montoro and he had told him how to be saved. He had looked at his life. And the wife of that competing salesman happened to be my science teacher. And she came and she said, I want to tell you an exciting story. She said, because my husband said if there was any man he met in this world that would never get saved, it was Joe Boyle. It says, but he saw the peace that was in your dad's heart before he went into surgery. And he said, I want that. I don't have it. He got saved. Let me tell you something. God is into saving souls. Are you saved today? If you are, then you need to go find somebody and have enough faith to bring them to Christ. Amen? You need to find somebody that nobody cares about like Zacchaeus and just care about him a little bit. 
How many of us would be willing to be disappointed like Mary and Martha were so that someone else could come to Christ? Let me tell you something. It's easy to talk about. It's a little hard to live. But that's what Christ wants to do. How many of us are going to get in the way with him instead of stand in the way? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would look into our hearts. That we would allow these next few moments to just help us to be truly honest with ourselves and with God. Lord, if there's someone here that is not saved, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. The day that they would simply trust Jesus as their personal Savior. Lord, many more here are saved today have given testimony of that fact. And we just ask that they would allow themselves to be seen somewhere in this story and to be used to bring someone else to the Savior. We ask that you would light within us that desire to win souls and to share your word with the world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As Brother Franz comes to lead us in the hymn of invitation, 560 in your hymn books. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open. Let's seek the Lord today and let him use us as he would see fit. 560.